The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Green Scene on The Pat Kenny Show with AIB, working alongside Irish communities towards a low carbon future. We pledge to do more. Well, in the green scene today, we're going to talk about uh, monarch butterfly uh, having go-fast spots, I suppose you could say. Uh, but first, how elephants like us can get bored with re- repetitive food. They like variety. We're joined by Dr Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Ruth, good morning. Good morning, Pat. They are fussy eaters. Well, I don't know if they're fussy, but I guess like us, they do think about what are you going to have for the dinner? And and I think we can think, you know, when we think about other animals, we often think they probably just eat the same minimal sort of variety of things. And and you would also think we, we kind of know what elephants eat because yeah. they're, they're such an iconic species. And, you know, yeah, we, we just can... think of animals having... Uh, food for fuel, exactly, basically, for exactly. survival. Yes, and, and, and with elephants, you know, the reason why we don't read, I mean, we know they eat plants, obviously, but the reason why we don't know maybe in more detail what they eat is, is they tend to forage at night. They forage in kind of quite dense forest mm-hmm. areas. Um, you know, they, they obviously travel huge distances, you know, so they eat as they travel over these really long distances. So, I mean, how do you tra- track them and watch which leaves they're deciding well, well, are tasty? What we found is that's pretty difficult, even for very experienced botanists. But I suppose it's genetics to the rescue now. So, so a group of scientists um, have used samples. Now, they had very old poop samples. They were actually collected about 20 years ago from two groups of elephants that lived in Kenya. And the scientists had loads of information about these elephants. They had GPS data. They had information from the hairs, the DNA in their hairs. So they knew a lot about them. And they used this technique we've talked about before called metabarcoding, DNA metabarcoding. So it's like doing PCR, but it's like doing hundreds and hundreds of PCR reactions all at the same time. So looking for different bits of genetic material from plants that are hidden in this poop. And they were able to map the DNA that they found against a library of plant samples. And what they found was nearly 400 different types of plants in these samples. And they found even in one elephant's poop, they found 137 unique different plants. So these elements, elephants are... He's eating, the picky one. <laughs> he may be very... Or, or, or the or the ex- adventurous one that'll, that'll try everything. And they found they were eating, you know, herbs, trees, succulents. They were eating different parts of the plants. They were eating leaves. They were eating fruit. They were eating bark. I mean, they did find that when they were in the areas of areas where there was a lot of fruit trees or even where there was rubbish rubbish dumps and they could get a lot of high energy food, they would they would give preference to those. They found that even in groups, different individuals seem to prefer different kinds of food. Um, so within any family group of elephants, um, one might prefer the eucalyptus and someone else might prefer something else. Exactly. And and even amazingly, they found that pregnant and nursing elephants seem to have slightly different profiles of what they ate. And they're sort of speculating, is this almost like cravings that, that human mothers might have? Because again, these might, you know, there might be nutrient needs that they have when, when they're in these particular life stages. So no, no. OK, it's great to know um, about their uh, dietary adventures. But what use is that to us? Well, I mean, it's not always about, about the, the use of things. I suppose it's fascinating to understand other creatures. But I think what it does do, it, it answers a really interesting question in wildlife ecology, which is, are social bonds strong enough to keep groups of animals together when they're all competing for the same food resources? And the answer might be, 
they're not. You know, they're actually using a diverse set of resources and that helps them stay together. And of course, it makes sense for them to operate in a social group. But I think it's also important, you know, so many of these species now, we're having to keep them in zoos and reserves to kind of protect their genetic Mm -hmm. material for the future. And now we probably know that they need a wider variety of foods than maybe just, as you say, just just leaves of some type. So even the the, the feeding in the zoos uh, might have to be more diverse um, because they're, you know, they just get bored with it and maybe they're not getting what they require. Exactly. It's those micronutrients maybe that they're foraging in this broad diet. So it's really interesting. I know that that. in in Dublin Zoo, they have um, introduced in the last couple of decades foraging for food. They hide the food. So the elephants have to kind of stretch up and try to find a cabbage or whatever it might be. Um, I think in the, the lion's enclosure, though, they just... Throw well, an old carcass out. I think Dublin's this whole idea of enrichment that they do for all the animals now. So as you say, it is about having to work a bit harder for the food, having a broader variety of food. I know when it gets very hot, they freeze the food uh, to, to make it cool for them. But but yes, I think, you know, good zoos are always looking for the most up-to-date information about how wild species live to try and recreate that. You know, where really we're having to keep these endangered species to, to protect their, their genetic legacy. Now, uh, another quite extraordinary piece of scientific yeah. research is about the monarch butterfly and you, you, everyone's familiar with them because we do get them in this we country do. and they tend to be orange and black and they've white spots and they've been looking at what the spots do and indeed what the basic colour does to keep the predators away. That's right. As you say, monarch butterflies, they're very common. You find them all over the world and I think possibly why they're really famous is they, they are the, 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 the creature that undertakes the most famous insect migration. So the populations of monarch butterflies that are found in the US up in the Rocky Mountains they do this amazing migration of up to 5,000 kilometres for some of them from the Rocky Mountains or California down to Mexico. And, and what's really interesting about them is that those butterflies, when the, the ones that are in Mexico, as they head off to go north uh, for the summer, there's actually three generations are born so along that migration. butterfly Bill, who starts yes. off, is not, he, ne- he never arrives. He never arrives. I mean, so it's butterfly Ben, his grandson, or, or great grandson, or, or granddaughter, exactly who arrives. Now, amazingly, those butterflies that are born up in the north, though, a super generation is born just before they head down south. And this butterfly lives for up to six months. So they either get to Mexico or or die. Or die, tried, but they don't reproduce. They don't, they don't reproduce, reproduce along the way. So, so it's really, really fascinating. And these researchers from the University of Georgia were wondering: Did the pattern on the wings maybe have anything to do with their their ability to fly? Mm. Okay, now. Before you talk about the pattern on the wings, um, they, first of all, their orange and black seems to be designed to deter other creatures from eating them. Well, well, that's what the current sort of knowledge was about butterflies, that their camouflage, it was about camouflage to protect them from predators or a warning. They eat milkwood, which is toxic. And this, you know, this warning, I'm orange, I'm toxic. It's kind of common in nature to see these colours. So it was sort of presumed that was why they had this colouring. But really, the researchers were were inspired by looking at migratory birds because some evidence had come to light that maybe black and white birds, that that patterning on their wings might impact on their ability to fly these long distances. So so exactly as you say, they decided to look at the butterflies because they have these different 
you know, generations which mm. do different things. So they studied 400 wild monarch wings from different locations along the migration path. And they found out that those butterflies that are born in, in Mexico, those early generations that aren't migrating, they have the least amount of white spots. And the ones that fly all that huge journey from the north all the way down to the south have the most. And what they found when they looked at those that had done intermediate sort of steps along the way and maybe had been less successful, that they could find a that matched to the, the white patterning. So what are they believing the white patterning does? So, so what they think is this, it's very subtle and you can imagine on a butterfly wing, which is, which is so fragile, that obviously the dark spots might get a little bit warmer, the white spots might stay a little bit cooler and these tiny differences in temperature on the wing could create little eddies at the edge of the wing, eddies of air, sort of flurries and that might reduce the drag as the butterfly attempts to fly this incredibly long distance. Uh, so it's a fascinating idea. Yeah. Now they're going to try and see what happens in in the lab. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to, I mean, as you say, this is just a correlation at the moment that they yeah. can see. Uh, they're going to sort of develop a wind tunnel for, for butterflies and look at different temperatures. And they're actually going to use sensors to monitor what's happening with the air uh, around the wings of these butterflies to see if they can establish that their theory is in fact correct. That's and quite this is extraordinary. What's happening. Quite extraordinary. But it's, it's amazing. Yeah. How this evolved. Um, there are perhaps other lessons uh, that we might see aircraft in the sky with, you know, white paint and brown paint and black paint and orange paint, depending on what that might do to the flight characteristics of jet planes. Absolutely. And we know that any efficiency gains that we can get in transport nowadays yeah. would be would be really welcome. So so who knows what we might learn from, from these butterflies. Yeah, what an extraordinary piece of science. Uh, Dr. Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.